Hello, it's another horsey-voiced Simit Bowes. Welcome to the Net Hero podcast. I don't know what's going on with my voice right now. I think uh, I think my toddler's given me uh, some sort of bug. So uh, apologies for the slight hoarseness. The uh, the interviews you'll hear were, were done where my voice was a lot clearer, so that's good. It's been another interesting week. Uh, as we speak right now, uh, Insulate Britain people are being uh, manhandled as they try and stop fuel supplies, fuel tankers in East London. Now, talk about stupidity of the highest order. Really? Come on, guys. Um, but we've got a lot of news that's happened. And I suppose the main thing is that, you know, whether it's slightly easing, we've really had a real shock the last two weeks regarding the fuel and gas prices. And earlier this week, our reporter, Dimitris Mavrakefalidis, spoke to an expert from Coventry University. And what they were looking at was whether weather exactly that whether the weather the effect of lack of wind whether the uh, shift that happened after covid and the sort of way governments were caught with their pants down has led to this global crisis and let's be honest it is a global crisis around energy and what that actually means because if you look at it is it really a question that we didn't know this was coming or we didn't plan for what was an inevitability. Have a listen to Dr. Babatundi Anifozi, who is part of the School of Energy at Coventry University. In the last 18 months following COVID-19, as a result of COVID-19, and the pressure that has been mounted on the energy sector, most of these oil and gas companies are actually divesting away from the production of crude oil and natural gas, for, for example. And in fact, a number of colleagues in the energy sector, in the oil and gas sector, have been made redundant because when we had COVID-19, there was very low demand for crude oil and natural gas. So people, companies had to plug the well, if, if you see what I mean, they stop production. If you stop production and there's no demand, of course, you don't need to keep the labor force. So the labor force had to be relieved, which means the energy industry, as we speak, is not ready to actually up the game, you know? So these are some of the very complex interactions that you have between climate change, the energy sector, and weather patterns. And that's really interesting, isn't it, what he's just said there, that if you look at it, the oil and gas industry decided to lay people off, uh, expecting, you know, a trough for how long? No one expected the vaccine to work as quickly as it, as it has done globally. So we're now in a catch-up, and we're still in a catch-up regarding, obviously, our shortfalls with uh, renewable energy. You'll be able to hear that full interview on our sister platform, Energy Lab News, so do listen to that. Now, last week on futurenetzero.com, we ran a story about Volvo. And Volvo have said that all their new EVs will soon have no leather seats. Leather is often seen as a very toxic product. It's obviously a high quality product. People love leather. And it's been used for centuries. So is leather really an evil product? Or is it actually a product that is, in a way, quite sustainable if it's done the right way. A lot of problem with leather is how it's made, processing the chemicals used. So I spoke to Vikrant Pratap, the CEO of Qualys. And what Qualys are doing is they're trying to make leather much more sustainable because they actually say that globally leather is not going away. It's a fascinating conversation looking at the history of leather, how it's used, the alternatives to leather, and whether they really are as sustainable as people make out. So have a listen to this and then tell me what you think at the end. 
So where are we with one of the things that I think a lot of people wonder about, which is leather. Now, leather is one of those goods that, you know, here I am sitting wearing, dare I say, some leather shoes with a leather belt. But it's always been something that I've thought about, kind of, what's the footprint of this thing? Because we know where it comes from. We know the animal sources. And a lot of people are saying that if we want to go net zero, these are the sort of things we need to look at. We need to look at what we're using from uh, various sectors. People already talk about getting rid of how much meat we eat. Well, leather's a real byproduct of that. But it's one of those things that's been around, as I say, for centuries, and it's a vital part of where we are. So today, I'm going to speak to someone about a very interesting field, something that I haven't really thought about, which is the whole idea of kind of leather goods in things like cars, in, in fabrication, and whether we can make it cleaner, whether we can make it greener, or whether we should ditch it altogether. So joining me today is Vikrant Prathap, the CEO of uh, Qualys. Vikrant, how are you? I'm very good. Nice to uh, nice to be on here, Sumit, and thank you very much for inviting us to be a part of this podcast. Really looking forward to the conversation. Tell me, what is what is Qualys? It's a great name, Qualys. Sounds like a horse to me. But I'm, I'm <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> um, so, so Qualys is a clean tech business focused on improving the environmental footprint of the leather industry in particular, which is a huge industry worldwide. Yeah. We, we have leather in all sorts of everyday products, automobiles, shoes, handbags, belts, wallets. You, you can pretty much name it out. I, I, I bet there's a good chance pretty much everywhere in the world you'll find you know men women children have some sort of leather product mm. that they use on Absolutely. a fairly regular yeah. basis so it's it's a it's a very important product for many everyday goods that we use and so what we're trying to do as a business is to improve the sustainability of the production of uh, of the leather industry by reducing the amount of water that is required for production and also reducing the level of chemical waste that comes out of the production process. That's the thing, I, th I suppose, if we can have a little quick history for our listeners. I mean, people know about the leather industry going back sort of centuries and the, the tanning process. And my, my family's from, from Calcutta and there's a, there's a bridge near the airport, Harry, and, and you pass a tannery and it just smells appalling <laughs> for decades. But, you know, it's a vast, as you say, it's a vast, vast industry. Can you take us through, you know, not too much science, but what does it take to make leather? Because I assume in my kind of simplicity that, you, you know, once uh, the animal's dead, you take the hide and you sort of dry it out. But there's a lot more to it than that, isn't there? Absolutely. It, the essence of it is, is exactly as you described. So you take the animal hides and the animal skins from the meat production industry. So it's a waste product from the meat production industry that, that's actually being converted into something very useful for um, society. And the process of conversion essentially has a few different steps. The first part of it is to remove the unwanted elements from the hide, so uh, things such as the fats uh, and some of the greases and, and the hairs that would be on animal hides and animal skins. After you've done that, then you want to essentially enable that hide to be uh, not decaying, to not putrefy so easily, because left on its own, it would very easily um, decay, start to smell. So chemicals are introduced into the animal hide and they uh, get fixated with the fiber structures within the animal hide in order to stop the hide from uh, putrefying. Once that's done and it's been preserved so that it will last for a long period of time, then the next 
step is to um, help it to have the properties in terms of the how it flexes, how it bends, how it, it how it flows, almost like a cloth or um, type material, so that it has the attributes that we need for our everyday products, whether it's for shoes, whether it's for handbags, whether it's for seating in the interior of an automobile or for furniture. So additional chemicals are added in that get fixated into that leather structure and give it the properties that we associated with, with these sorts of products. And then the final step is a finishing layer where once it has all those attributes, it effectively is the type of leather that we use every day. There's uh, some additional finishing that's done to give it certain look on, on its surface. Uh, but essentially the process is you take the animal hide, you remove from it the fats and the hairs and so on that you don't want. And once that's been cleaned up, you introduce chemicals into the fiber structure to stop it from decaying and then to give it the properties that we want in the products that we use. Yeah, so a bit like kind of, you know, people have heard of formaldehyde or something like that. Probably it's not that, I'm sure, but some sort of chemical that will sort of keep it as is in, in stasis. So that, that, that's what goes in, yeah? Correct. That, so that's the, that's the first key step of the chemical process. Yeah. And once it has that property, then additional processing, chemical processing is, is required so that it has the attributes in terms of how it flexes, course, how, it, yeah. how it bends, you know, how it feels when you touch it, how smooth it is. The softness, all of the things. Correct, that correct, correct. So correct. Th there must be a massive chemical footprint for a start, but you also talk about water right at the beginning and, and there, there must be a lot of washing of this is there is there a huge water footprint for the, it, it, there is there is a, and the water footprint of the industry globally is uh, an estimated 400 to 500 billion liters of water on an annual basis wow. right so it is it is huge it, it's a it's a very large number however let's put that also into context right because if you just look at that, that term, 400 to 500 billion liters of water, those are very large figures we're talking about. But whenever you're talking about an industrial production in any industry, right, in the energy industry and, uh, or in many others, those are the, the orders of magnitude or more that, that you're dealing with. So if we look at that number in isolation, yes, it has a very large footprint. Um, but if we look at that in the context of what is required on a, on a global level to meet the needs of a society um, that has 8 billion people, right? In, in many industries, we're, we're talking about those sorts of figures. Now, having yeah. said that, that's not to say that we shouldn't work to um, lower that footprint absolutely yeah. we should right we, sh we should optimize no, no. We should I, I, I get where you're coming from and obviously but, but i mean if you talk about it you say it's a global industry right so i'm assuming that wherever you are in the world whether you're in india china back end of mongolia you know or italy that this process is going on there are manufacturers doing this all around the world and then the stuff gets shipped out and then it gets turned into the goods. So how big is the leather industry? Can you give us an idea of kind of what sort of size of industry is? Because everyone can get an idea of kind of, you know, energy. We know what energy is, yeah, we sure, know what sure. transport is. We even know what, you know, livestock is because everyone get, there's a lot of stuff about kind of climate yeah. change. And sure. How big is the leather industry globally? It, it's, a, it's an industry that, uh, so roughly um, about 20 billion square feet of leather is produced every year. And that's from a variety of different animal types. So the majority of that leather is produced from cows, from, from bovine hides. But also, of course, um, there's a large segment from pig skins, from goat skins, and so on. So roughly about 20 billion square feet of leather is produced every year. 
And that is, it's an industry that is valued at about 50 billion pounds on, per annum in turnover or $65 billion in, in turnover per year. And that's just for the leather production. That's obviously not for the leather goods that are sold um, with that with that leather. So it's a huge industry worldwide, but also it ha- it's an industry that employs a lot of people worldwide. So an estimated five to 10,000 tanneries exist in, in the world. And, and it's hard to pinpoint the exact number because in many parts of the world, you still have many small tanneries, you know, where, which are family-run outfits. But it, there are five to 10,000 unique tanneries in the world and and they employ hundreds of thousands of people uh, on a global level and you could say probably the number is probably closer to a million if you look at the ancillary industries that uh, that feed into this industry and are essential for this industry to exist we all know and we've seen it whether it's in the ipcc report lately or whatever you know the sustainable goals you know and and people are doing it people are eating less meat and there Mm. is a real thing about you know companies you know american company like beyond burgers and beyond sure. and there's so many of those coming out moving out and you can see there is a, a tendency people are talking about sure. insects all of that so we've got a, a feeling that the the livestock industry is a massive contributor to mm. to global so what would your answer be to people who say well let's just get rid of it let's just stop the leather industry because we know there's loads of synthetic versions. You see it every day. You, know, you don't have to buy leather. You can buy things that are either plastics or look like leather or made from even <laughs> hemp and other things. Um, shouldn't we just get rid of this industry? I think it's a very important question for us to, to address. And, and let me do that in two parts. One, considering where the meat production industry is headed and, and two, considering the use of alternative materials. So let's start with, with first the meat production industry. So you're right, there, there is a trend towards eating less meat and veganism is increasingly popular, certainly in um, Western countries and in the US. However, if we look at it at a global level, and if we look at the projections for meat consumption um, through 2050 at a global level, the data indicates or the forecasts indicate that meat consumption over the next 30 years at a global level is not going to decrease significantly. In fact, it will most likely increase um, because of the higher levels of cons- expected higher levels of consumption of meat in what we consider emerging markets in parts of uh, Latin yeah. America, in parts of Asia. So that trend that you're referring to, absolutely, there, there's more of that trend. Uh, certainly, no, it's a Western trend, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely, at a global yeah. level, um, mm. the meat consumption is increasing now. You know, whether that's right or wrong is a separate issue, and and you know, no, I, I get really what you're coming on that. Yeah. But the the as long as that industry exists, right? Certainly, it doesn't seem to be going away or even decreasing in size over the next thirty to fifty years. That as long as that industry exists, there is going to be a huge amount of waste that comes out of that meat production industry in the form mm-hmm. of animal hides. So, an estimated three hundred million bovine hides are produced from that industry as waste every year. And that's not even looking at pig skins and, and so on, right? And so what are you going to do with that waste if you're not going to process it into leather? You have a waste management problem. You'll have to fill up landhills with these hides. If you don't have a leather industry that takes a waste product and converts it into useful materials that can be used in products that we need every day. So from a waste management perspective, the leather industry is absolutely essential for the meat production industry. 
And while we may think about, you know, in a utopia at some point in the future where nobody eats meat and et cetera, and that may be an ideal solution that, that we aim for, I would argue that let's not move away from what is a very good solution today and abandon that and create short-term and medium-term problems in the hope of an ideal that doesn't exist and is unlikely to exist, certainly for the next 30 to 50 years. So the meat production industry exists and will exist for the next few decades, isn't it better that we have an industry that deals with the waste from that in a very reasonable and effective way and reuses that and creates something valuable out of it? So, so, I, so that, would be, that would be, I think, one, one thing I would ask people to consider with respect yeah. to the existence yeah. of the industry. And then the other, the other element that you raised, which is also very important, is the use of alternative materials. And, yeah, and substitutes, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and over the last couple of years, there's been high level of, of interest in alternatives like that are branded vegan leather and, and so on. And while that's great that there are people who are looking at other materials and, and you know, as a clean tech business that's uh, bringing a new innovation to the industry, I would always support innovations of new types of materials that have different applications. However, I would also ask for us to be really judicious about how we evaluate these new materials and not just jump on and take the messages that that some of these companies that are putting forward that are introducing these materials. And, and the way to do that is to really assess them independently. And there's a there's actually a very important study that was released earlier this year by the Filk Institute in Germany that compared roughly about 10 different leading leather alternatives that come from all sorts of different um, different materials such as I mean most, mostly there's I mean we need to be direct here I mean most of it comes from you know plastics polymers polyurethane is one of those isn't it and PVC those are things like that I know people are changing things and using more kind of um, natural material, but that's that's the general one you get now, wouldn't it? Absolutely, and and even the the natural ones, the ones that you know have cactus leather or build themselves yeah. as pineapple leather and so on. If you look at you know the full composition of the material, while they have components of cactus and and these other materials or mushroom leather, when you look at the backing that they need to be put on and the fillers that need to be put inside that material, the Filk Institute found that some of these materials that are being built as alternative, environmentally friendly, are essentially you know, have high levels of plastic composition in them. Some of them have 60, 64 percent plastic in them. So if you ask a an average consumer right? Would you rather, from an environmental perspective, would you rather have a leather product or a vegan leather product, right? Not knowing anything else, you know, they may say vegan leather. If you ask that same question, right, and say, would you have a leather product? Would you have a product that's uh, more than 60% plastic? Knowing all the, the, yeah. the broader impacts of plastic in terms of support of the fossil fuel industry and so on and so forth, that becomes a much more difficult question for that consumer to answer. And then if you layer on top of that, the fact that it's great that these alternative materials are there, but when you look at their properties in terms of how strong they are, how much flex they have and so on, yeah, yeah. They, they don't they don't match up in terms of the properties that are needed. So, so if you buy a new shoe and it runs out after three months and then you have to buy another one. <laughs> it's the thing, isn't it? That's the whole argument about embedded carbon that we, we talk sure. about, you know, which is... Yeah, you, you may look at something and it's, it looks ostensibly on the surface better, but, you know, it's the same argument that some people have with EVs, you know, the where, where does all the cobalt we'll be exploring that? Where does cobalt, where does the lithium come from? Sure. The batteries? So there are carbon costs. All right, look, you've won me over, right? So here we go. We, we go that <laughs> we understand that it's here for a while, right? So let's say 
that, that you know globally people aren't going to give up pizza you're going to have the buy what are you doing to make it cleaner right now from an industry perspective the industry is incredibly committed to uh, improving the sustainability uh, of leather production and lowering the environmental footprints what i'd like to say first of all is yes qualis has a very i believe a very important role into that but also i'm very proud to be part of an industry that's taking this topic very seriously and, and how is it doing that so there are auditing bodies that have been set up by the industry they, there's there was no regulatory um, drive for this necessarily but it was an industry driven initiative to set up an auditing mechanism to assess the impact that different tanneries have on on the environment and give them a rating give them a badge give them a accreditation so that brands and consumers can source more responsibly. So the one that is very well established and has been around for many years is a, a UK-based organization called the Leather Working Group. And it runs a audit of tanneries on a, a biannual basis. So, so once every two years. And it's got a very strict criteria in terms of water usage, in terms of carbon footprint. And then it awards a bronze, silver, or gold medal to the tanneries that it audits. And leading brands, such as Timberland, for example, for, of Timberland Shoes, will only source their leather from tanneries that meet that uh, at least a silver rating. Yeah, and gold, right? yeah, like the kind of, you know, it comes from the sustainable forests for, for paper and things like that. I get the correct. Idea. Correct, correct. And, and there are other bodies that, that have emerged. So this year, earlier this year, there was a new foundation that was launched, um, the Sustainable Leather Foundation. And, and we were invited to be a founding member of this organization, given uh, given our impact on uh, improving the environmental footprint of the tannery. So, so first of all, from an industry perspective, the industry is taking this very seriously. And many tanneries worldwide are signing up for this, partly because there's a very strong commercial incentive for them to do so. Because if they want to supply those brands, they must have the right level of, of standard or auditing standard or auditing batch. And then what we're doing specifically, we're, we're one of the one of the companies that are offering solutions, innovative solutions to lower the environmental footprint of tanneries. And, and our system essentially allows tanneries to produce leather uh, in a way that uses typically 30 to 40% less water in key stages. Uh, also less chemicals by 10 to 15% in key stages and, and substantially lowers the level of effluent, the COD, the chemical oxygen demand of the effluent that comes out of the process. So lower water usage, lower chemical usage, and less chemical waste coming out of the process. And, and we've been able to demonstrate that uh, through uh, deployments in Mexico, soon in, in Brazil, and, and now in India. And, and we're getting very strong reception from the industry. Uh, and part of the what, reason- What is your solution? Is it a treatment process then? Is that what you're doing? You're, you're doing a treatment process or just kind of um, are, you, are you using a certain mix of chemical that's, that's better? That's a great question. So the way leather is typically produced is you'd have a big drum. Think of a big beer keg, if you will, a very, very large beer keg. And uh, you, you throw in the animal hides, you throw in water and chemicals and, and you spin the hide, uh, spin the drum for long periods of time, 12 to 18 hours so that the chemicals are uh, transported by the water into the heights, into that fiber structure. And what our process does is quite unique in that it replaces a lot of that water with small spheres, small balls, small pellets, if you will, that are size of a, a garden pea or a grain of corn, roughly. By doing so, 
um, it helps to gently massage the chemistry into the hide and, and helps to deliver that chemistry more effectively. So we're not changing the chemistry in any way. It's the same chemistry that's used in the standard production process, but we're changing the medium for delivering that chemistry. So rather than using water alone, we reduce the water and we use these water with our spheres. And uh, that helps obviously to reduce the amount of water that's required as an input, but also because the spheres help to massage the chemicals into the hide, you need to dose less chemicals in and more of the chemicals go where they're intended to go into the fibers of yeah. the hide. What are your spheres made of? Are they some sort of plastic or something, or are they something that's recyclable at the end? Sure. So they are they are polymer um, based, so type of plastic. But the key is the recyclability and the reusability of the sphere. So if you just use the standard process and you have water as the delivery mechanism for the chemicals, that water needs to be washed away at the end of each process. Whereas with our spheres as a medium, we capture them after every cycle and we use them for hundreds of cycles at end of life we take them away from uh, from the tannery and we recycle them. So it's a it's a closed loop in that sense. Right, Circ circular economy in, in process. Correct. And if you look at this, um, you know, it sounds very interesting. Um, for the consumer, and you, you've hit it, there is this whole thing about what we want. And as I say, Fusion Net Zero, we are, you know, we are a pro business. We do believe that businesses are the solution. And I never think denial works right which is why I've, I've you know i've been on plenty of diets in my life and they, they work for a bit and then back to <laughs> the, the same belt notch that i had before um do you think this is really where we are because of the points you've made which have been brilliant about kind of look you know globally people will continue to eat you're going to have this byproduct there are questions about the sustainability of alternatives are you trying to say that look you know whether we agree with it or not if it's here we've got to find solutions for it that allow it to be a bit better for our planet. Just as you're saying, we do need to look for solutions. And what I would argue is let's look for solutions from a holistic perspective, right? And so let's not just compare, you know, leather with vegan leather without looking at the broader context of what that really means, right? Uh, in that particular example, vegan leather means using a lot of plastics. And let's understand what the impact of that is on the planet. And equally, the flip side of that, le using leather means dealing with a waste problem from a major industry, the meat production industry, that the world is extremely dependent upon. Right. And so rather than having a limited conversation about leather because it comes from animal is bad uh, and vegan leather because it doesn't come from animals is good. Let's have a more holistic, a more broader conversation that looks at the broader impact of these materials. That's number one. The second thing is the point that you made, you know, you know, it's the how will consumers view it? And, and we can't we can't ask people to compromise on the quality mm. of life. Right. You know, if we say but we do want know, things that are better, I mean, all we of do want want things, absolutely. We do want things that are better. Our view is we should be aiming for sustainability without compromise. And, we, and, and what that means from from our perspective is sustainability, if done right. Uh, and by done right, it does require innovation, does require um, technological advancement. But if done right, shouldn't ask consumers to compromise on the quality of their products. We all want the nice cars with the nice interiors and the nice shoes and, and, and the nice handbags and the nice wallets. And it shouldn't require businesses 
to compromise on their profitability. Because if if you ask for either one of those mm. things, if you mm. ask for businesses to be less profitable, or if you ask for the end customer, the consumers to um, compromise on on the quality of their product, or, or the, which effectively is, is saying you're, you're compromising on, on your standard of living, on, on quality of life, right? It may work in the short term, just like, you know, in January, we all go on those diets after yeah. Christmas, but it's never sustained, no. right? And we need to have sustainability in a way that doesn't ask us to compromise on those other dimensions. And, and if you can do that, which we believe certainly Qualys can, then I think you've got long-term viability of those solutions. And, and that's really critical. Uh, Bikran, I think that's a fair point on which to end. I think there'll be some people that will always disagree uh, with what you've said and, and, and can say that but i you know for me i do think you've made a salient point which is one that you know for our listeners you know if we have these things that are here you know replacing always sounds like it's better to replace but sometimes there are footprints and other peculiarities of what we do that, that have implications and i think you've made a valid case for kind of cleaning up things so uh thanks very much for joining us here on the net hero podcast and uh best of luck with everything you're doing what do you think? Can leather be sustainable? He made a good argument there that meat eating will not go away globally. And you've got to think globally. You can't think with kind of, you know, British heads or Western heads. Globally, people are eating more meat. So you're going to get the bright products. Should we have it that we're using natural materials or should we invest in much more, dare I say, alternatively sourced ones? But as you heard, there are some issues around that. Email me, nethero at futurenetzero.com and tell me what you think. We've got uh, another fascinating talk for you next week. We'll be talking to a farmer. That's right, a farmer in Colorado. And he is farming using solar panels. I kid you not. In a desert, using solar panels to irrigate his crops. You won't want to miss that. Make sure you do log on to anything. Sorry, Make sure if you want any news around Net Zero, your pathway to Net Zero, log on to futurenetzero.com. I'm Simit Bose, and I really have enjoyed speaking to you this week. See you next time. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Sumit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.